Our great God, we do want to thank you that you don't look for great people because you are a great God. And so we pray you'll help us tonight to become small, to realize that we are in need of a great God. And please would you show us that that is exactly who you are as we study the Bible together. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to study about this man today, John Mark. As uh, Rob explained, we have looked at the whole letter of the Acts of the Apostles. And we have spent week after week going this bit, and then the next bit, and the bit after that. And we finished the letter, and we thought we'd go back into the letter to see a couple of people that we met there, who didn't get much of a mention at the time, but who we can still learn from. And last week we looked at Barnabas, and this week we look at John Mark. They are related, you'll see. This is the time it all went wrong. There was a time when Barnabas and Mark were together with Paul and it didn't work out the first time. Barnabas wants to give Mark a second chance. This is what happened. Acts chapter 15, verse 36, page 924. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take him with one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And uh, that's where they went. And we're going to look at that little story about John Mark here as we sit in church and the children are going to learn about that as they sit in uh, the next room so I think Hannah's going to be leading uh, uh, the kids away and they'll come back and tell us what they have learnt and uh, we'll learn the same lessons but uh, differently so you stay here and they're going next door how do you make progress? Now, it's something that we uh, like to do, uh, and uh, I'm hoping that, that, uh, yeah, that you see how uh, the how question is what we're looking at tonight. How do you go forward? How do you make progress? Because we all think progress is a good thing. So, for example, if you're in a work, in your uh, job, you want to uh, make progress and uh, face new challenges, new stimulation, more money. Or we want to make progress even in our home improvement, if it's only to paint the wall, or if you're 
flush, then you might want the new kitchen and the new extension and everything else, but we want to make improvements there. Or with our children, we want to see them improve rather than stay and be stuck. We want to see advance. And as Christians, we too don't want to stay where we are. We want to keep going forward. How do we go forward? We must go forward. You know if you ride a bicycle, if you stay in the same place, you fall over. So as Christians, we want to uh, keep uh, moving on. How does that happen? What helps? Now last week we looked at how Barnabas made progress and Barnabas was the person we met in Acts who made progress by helping other people to make progress. And today we are going to look at his cousin and his name is John Mark and we are going to look at those two men and we saw that one looks a bit younger than the other and that's John Mark. And last uh, Tuesday, I asked our church, go and find out as much as you can about John Mark. Google him. See what you discover. And we Googled him, and we saw the picture of this uh, figure with a great halo around his head. And that was John Mark. If you go to Google Images, that's how he is. But actually, when you pick up the story of John Mark, you discover that he isn't a... A hero figure, a hero figure, is actually a bit of a failure, and uh, we're going to uh, see that as we go along. But to find out about John Mark, you've got to go to different places. You want to find out how Paul became a Christian, and you go to Acts chapter nine, and you read a great deal. But with John Mark, he's a backstage person. He's not one of the major players on the stage. He's round the back. And people keep referring to him, and that's how you get to find out about him. And you've got to therefore be Sherlock Holmes and look for clues to find out who this John Mark is. And clue number one is uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, and you discover that he's mentioned there because his mum had a house in Jerusalem and the church, it was a big enough house for the church to meet. And so when Peter escaped from prison, he went to the house, and it says when Peter realized that he was out of prison, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where they were gathered together and they were praying. That's one clue. Another clue is in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 where you find out that uh, he was Barnabas's cousin. So probably the family came from Cyprus because that's where Barnabas came from. Another clue you find out about him is that Peter calls him his son. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, she who is in Babylon, which is another word they use for Rome, uh, has sent you <coughs> greetings as so does my son, Mark. So Peter and Mark were very close, so close that Peter would call Mark his son. In fact, it seems that they were so close that Mark's gospel, you get Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, where Mark's gospel is probably Peter's gospel. 
And we can tell that because when you look at Mark's Gospel, you see those few times when Jesus takes only Peter, James and John, that little private in-group, and he takes them into certain places where he doesn't take anywhere, anyone else. And Mark tells you about those times because Peter was there. And Peter is the one who is describing to Mark what happened. Mark's Gospel, you might say, is Peter's Gospel. They were that close. And mostly you find out about Mark through these references that other people make about him in places like that. But there are two times where you actually get to see Mark. And he pops out and there you are. He's in the action himself. And one such time is right at the end when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark chapter 14 verse 51. And they came to arrest Jesus. And it seems that Mark is saying that he was there. We're not entirely sure that it was him. But many people say it probably was. And they tried to grab Mark. And they only got his coat. And so his first appearance uh, in the Gospel is where he uh, has to uh, uh, do the first streak, I think, in... Uh, uh, in uh, uh, the Bible runs away without any clothes on. So those are different uh, ways in which you meet Mark and you get to see uh, the kind of person that he is. He's there as part of the group of uh, uh, disciples around Jesus uh, but mainly he is in the background. But then you discover when you look more closely the second time he appears on the scene, he loses his halo, not just his clothes, because he gets it horribly wrong. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, just turn back one page, and you see that uh, Paul and Barnabas, they go off on their very first missionary trip, and they take John Mark with them. And so in Acts chapter 13, uh, God says, set aside uh, for me Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas, in verse 2, and they go. And in verse 13, you see that John Mark was there, but you only see that he was there because that's the point at which he decides to leave. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos, from Paphos and they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them in Pamphylia, and returned to Jerusalem. He just went home. Now you read it like that and there's nothing negative. No one seems to mind. He's just gone back and they go on. But you discover that that little point of Mark going home caused a big fight later on. Because what happened in Acts chapter 15, the bit that we read, is that they're going on their second trip. And this time, Barnabas wants to take Mark again. And Paul says, no. And in verse 39, they have a sharp disagreement. Now let me tell you, those words don't sound all that bad. But... 
in the original, in the Greek where it was written, it's where we get our English word paroxysm from. Now, you may not have heard that word before, but that is a word that is used for someone having a major fit. Paul and Barnabas went to war with each other about this. It was that bad. That was what a sharp disagreement looks like. And uh, it was just a, a, a terrible fight. And the Bible doesn't cover it up. And I think it's a wonderful thing that the Bible doesn't cover it up when Christians do get it wrong and they have sharp disagreements with each other. Last week, if you were here, you know that when Paul was meeting Barnabas and Peter in Galatia, he had to withstand them to the face because they were getting it so badly wrong because Barnabas had stopped eating with non-Jewish people and Paul had to say, no, that's wrong because God is inclusive. And so there is a very sharp disagreement in Galatia. But now, there's another sharp disagreement and the Bible is not covering up the sharp disagreements. The Bible doesn't cover up flaws in God's people. And all God's people uh, have uh, got it wrong. And the Bible wants to tell us that's the way it is. So we don't pretend that we're getting it right. And so there's this sharp disagreement. And the sharp disagreement in Galatia cleared the mind. And they all started working together again. But this time, there is no patching up. At the end of verse 39, uh, Barnabas and Mark go one way. And then in verse 40, Paul and another man he's chosen called Silas, they go off a different way. And interestingly, uh, the brothers commend them to the grace of God, not Barnabas and Mark. And so uh, there's a little bit of a shadow <laughs> over what has happened and the relationship is in darkness. <coughs> but later, you'd think that that was it. You get to the end of the story and there's no friendship ever again. But as you turn over the page of the Bible, you get more clues and you discover that actually... Mark and Paul are friends. And so that uh, sharp uh, disagreement is, seems to be forgotten because when you get to Colossians chapter 4 verse 10, the bit that we looked at earlier, when we were seeing how Mark was Barnabas's cousin, this time you see that actually the context of it is that they are in prison and there's Aristarchus who's a prisoner, Paul is in prison with him, and Mark is there in prison as well to add his greetings in that letter. Same again if you look at uh, Philemon. Now Philemon is uh, a little letter. Um, uh, if you get to Hebrews you can find him easily. And he, uh, Philemon chapter 23 verse 24 he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So again we're in prison. And Mark is there to greet as well as a fellow worker. Now, he might have been visiting Paul at that point. But the point is, there they are. And 
Mark is now not leaving in the difficult places. He's going to the difficult places. And he's being with Paul in the difficult places um, where he couldn't be with him before. And then best of all, right at the end, Paul's last letter is 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's going to be executed at the end of 2 Timothy. And the last chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11, Paul says, and I put the words out on the notes for you, pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. He is very useful, another translation puts it, for ministry. So, wonderfully, failure Mark has gone, become useful Mark. And it's helpful for us to see that that is how God works. And it's important for us because we can have failed relationships, relationships that are broken down. We may be that actually we've had breakdowns ourselves if Mark had a breakdown and went back. Certainly, there was mess. And yet, God is able to bring out something really wonderful out of that mess and make Mark useful again. And we know that in the end, when you progress from mess to being useful, it is not because the person has certain recovery skills that uh, they're using in a good way. It is because God is the one who makes the change, who creates the progress. Last week, if you were here, we were learning about uh, Barnabas. And Barnabas, you remember, is called the son of encouragement. He was encouraging because his father was encouragement. And therefore, God, as his father, made the son like him. And this week we see, I'm going to see, that actually it is God and His mercy that makes the turnaround and creates the difference and makes Mark useful again. So let's go and see how God is merciful and gracious even when we have failed. And the wonderful thing is you begin to see that God is doing good things not just years after the explosion, but even at the time of the bust-up, you see that God is doing his work. So, for example, the exchange that they had, the sharp disagreement that they had, was actually while they were doing evangelism. And they were doing that together. That's the context in which the sharp disagreement took place. Now, what happened, if you read the book of Acts, is that if you like, uh, God has a high-speed train that is taking news about Jesus to many places very fast. Now, at the moment, in our country, we've been talking about high-speed trains, uh, and the election was all about high-speed HS2 and what was going to happen to it. And Boris Johnson was in Manchester yesterday talking about high-speed trains. Interesting that they were talking about high-speed trains in the week the trains, trains have been, been going really slowly because of the heat. And uh, I saw, I think, the best cartoon this week was the cartoon of a 
railway platform with loads and loads of people in it, and the voice from the speaker uh, was saying, um, apologies for the delay on this rail network, but uh, we asked uh, people to stay at home rather than travel on the, f on the train, and uh, the driver of the 831 is one of them. <laughs> uh, and so we've had slow trains, but God is in Acts doing a fast train trip, taking the news of Jesus to uh, lots of countries, lots of places, and he's doing it fast. And this is a bus stop that takes place on the train. It doesn't stop the train. And it's in the context of moving forwards. That's when uh, it's in the context of evangelism that this was taking place. And secondly, it was in the context of great unity. Acts chapter 15, if you read the first part of Acts chapter 15, it is where everybody comes together in Jerusalem to show how inclusive God is. And no longer are people going to be making a difference between Jews and non-Jewish people. They agree that everybody is to be treated the same way and that brings great unity to the church. And so this bus stop happens in the context of a chapter where people are getting together. And therefore it's no surprise to find that Satan is actually trying to cause division in the very chapter where God has created unity. Okay, Don't forget the bigger picture of what God is doing if there is one thing here that is going wrong. And then the next thing to notice is that they are not disagreeing with each other about what the gospel is about. This is not a difference in doctrine. They agree on the message. They are just in this one particular uh, instance worried about having a different opinion in terms of the method whether they're going to take one person or not take that one person. In every other way, these two men are absolutely agreed. And therefore, because there's no division about the gospel, what happens is that actually the only division that takes place, the church isn't split, but the only division that takes place is you now get two mission teams instead of one. And so they go off in two different ways, doing the same thing with the same message. But the wonderful truth that comes through all this is that actually God is gracious. And so after, after the sharp disagreement, we may not read about what happens in Acts that brings them back together again, but certainly it seems that these men, in their different ways, as time has gone on, have each gone off to God and said, God, we are sorry about this. There is mercy that they discover. There is forgiveness that they receive. And so Barnabas, uh, sorry, Mark the failure becomes Mark the useful. And Paul the rejecter becomes Paul the one who accepts and uses Mark once again. And so God brings about this wonderful uh, change and uh, they make progress, not because these guys themselves are good at sorting things out, 
but because God has a great pot of mercy. And as they go to God, he forgives them and fills them with his Holy Spirit. And they are changed and brought to love each other again. So what can this teach us if uh, we're someone who's uh, new to Christian things? How do we take this in that we can make progress because God is merciful? I think if you're someone who's new, it's good to look at parts of this in the Bible and say that actually the Bible really connects with the kind of world that we're in, where people do fall out. This is real life, and it's happening in the Bible the way it happens with us. And we discover that actually it's, uh, it's really true, because it's written for our world where we have failed, and where we all carry scars. And you do discover, don't you, that there are people that you meet who really have been completely battered uh, in past uh, breakups and relationships that they've encountered. And they carry the scars and they've made dreadful mistakes. And you think, is there any hope for a person like this whose life has been turned into such a mess? And the answer is... Yes, there can be progress because God is merciful and we need to go there. Now that's not something we find easy to do because normally we're too proud and when we're in breakup with people, what we usually do is we blame the other person. Okay, that person is to blame or the system is at fault. And we need to understand that actually that is not how progress takes place. Progress doesn't uh, take place when we blame someone else. Progress doesn't take place when we deny our own mistakes. Progress doesn't take place when uh, we say, well, yes, I've made mistakes, but I've actually done other good things, and they'll balance out the mistakes that I've made. That doesn't bring healing, and that never brings progress. And progress doesn't happen when we, in the end, say, look, it's just all right. It doesn't matter. These things happen. And we try and become superficial in the way that we say, yeah, that's, that's fine, don't worry. That doesn't bring progress. It just brings resentment. Because deep down, it does matter. Now, progress only comes for all of us. And the greatest progress comes for all of us is when we actually go to God and say, God, I so badly need your mercy at this point in time in the way that I have made my mistakes. And if you're someone new and God brings you to do that tonight, what a wonderful change it will be from failure to being useful to Him. Maybe that we've been, so I should have put that uh, on the board, say, there is recovery from the mess. But I think the other thing that we need to do is to say, well, actually, what happens if you've been to church a lot in the past? Many of us have grown up and we've been to church before, many times maybe in some cases. And um, what we uh, need to do is to see that um, uh, even church people can get it wrong. And sometimes you might say, especially church people,
can uh, get it wrong. Uh, Rob, is that Jenny with, uh, Debbie with the baby? Could uh, uh, that be just a bit easier? Um, so, um, church people are getting it wrong. And I think the way that we can get it wrong is sometimes more serious than the non-church people get it wrong. Because I think our problem is that we can often act like God to God. And uh, Angela, it's okay, leave, leave it there, it'll be fine. Um, um, and sometimes church people can act like God to God. And so we can often take the uh, line with God, look, uh, you just sit there. I've got other things to do, and I'll get round to you when I'm ready. Or we can take the line, you just listen to me. Come when, I'm call when you're called. When I need help, I'm expecting you to turn up and give it to me. Or we can turn around to God and say, uh, you just uh, fit in with the plans that I have for my life. And if it's slightly different to your plans, will you just fit in to the plans that I've made? And church people can actually act like God to God. And therefore, we are failures more than others. And yet in our failure, in that kind of attitude and way, we can still find that there is a God who is full of mercy and forgiveness. And we church people need to go to him in the way that Mark and Paul had to go to him and say, God, we so need your mercy so that we might improve, that we might progress. Or it may be that someone, uh, that we are actually in the kingdom, we are disciples of Jesus, and we notice there are people who are falling out, like Mark saw Paul and Barnabas, his heroes probably, falling out. And we can be put off, can't we, when senior people in the church fall out with each other, and we hurt people ourselves, and we find discouragement. And the wonderful truth is that even though these things are true, God, because he is rich in mercy and can forgive, can bring the worst cases back together again. I can tell you that from my personal experience in the last church that we were at. Um, there was one guy in the church, and uh, strangely enough, in one Bible study group, um, and I'm still not quite sure why exactly it happened, but there was a huge, huge disagreement with me. And he walked out of the Bible study and he stayed in the church, but we never spoke to each other. And there was obviously big frost when we tried to communicate and meet. And we got nowhere, and we got nowhere for a very long time. And then suddenly, God, in his great goodness, because he'd been praying about it probably, and I'd been praying about it, um, suddenly we were thrown back together again, and we found a new friendship and a new depth of concern for each other 
that we didn't have in the good days. And now all the people from our last church that we are in touch with, he and his wife are the couple that we especially go out and have meals with quite regularly because we want to stay friends and grow the friendship that God has given to us. Because God is merciful, there is forgiveness, and then there is the closeness of fellowship that comes from that. And I want to say that uh, in this really hot weather we've had and we're sort of wanting the, 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 the temperature to cool down a bit and we want some rain to do that, I want to suggest to you that uh, there is a massive, uh, refreshing uh, rain that can flood into our lives when we have broken relationships, when we have broken down ourselves, when we are a mess. There is this wonderful uh, rainfall of God's mercy and forgiveness that comes to us at those times. So often we have the little bottles that we put out into which we try and pour in our little, little uh, 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 droplets of self-esteem so that when we go wrong we try and say actually we're not that bad there's the positives that we need to consider. But really those little bottles that we put out are no substitute for the deluge of God's love and the deluge of his mercy and his forgiveness that come to us and that then sprinkles over and spills over to irrigate lives that were once failure but now can become useful. And so that is, I think, the lesson that we learn about uh, God from Mark, that he is full of mercy, and therefore, my friends, if you and I are to make progress with him, that is where we need to take the bucket. And that is where we will find the refreshment that we need, and that is where we will find the progress that we make. Not because we have those ingredients in us, but because God has everything that we need to forgive us and to shape us into new people, as he did with John Mark, who we've learned from tonight. Well, let's stop, let's pray, and one minute for you to ask God to pour out and deluge you with his mercy where you feel that uh, you need it, where you might feel that you are failing. And then after that minute, I'll pray and uh, we can ask questions, we can talk to each other just briefly before we move on to the next thing. But first minute and we'll pray. Well, our minute's up, so let me pray. Our gracious God, we do want to Thank you that uh, when we fail, it is never final because you have abundant uh, buckets of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And Lord, we would love to do various things to help ourselves progress, but please would you help us to be those who, as a result this evening, tonight, understand the one thing that we need to do is to rush to you for your mercy. 
and to receive that deluge of your forgiveness. Please help us to respond to our mistakes in that way. And please would you help us as a church family to respond to our mistakes in that way. So that in the understanding of your great forgiving love, we might know unity and love and usefulness amongst each other. And we pray that for the glory of your name. Amen. Mm -hmm.